1: Recollections Radio, Monday morning tea time is now all about sharing memories
0: with you old and new of life in Dunedin Bringing you stories, interviews and music from times past and inviting you to share your memories with us Presented by Jill Bowie and Kay Mercer the team behind
1: Dunedin Public Library's Scattered Seeds Archive Thanks to generous funding by the New Zealand Libraries Partnership
0: Project Recollections Radio, Monday mornings at 11 on 105.4 FM and 1575 AM Good morning Good
1: morning. It's Kay and Jill here. We're <laughs> here to welcome you to the Recollections Radio Show. Hi. Another Monday morning. Another Monday morning. Hope your day is going well. It's going well for us. Beautiful be- sunny day. Gorgeous. I like day. the weekend. Ugh.
0: Got caught <laughs> in the rain
1: this weekend.
0: Walking the dogs. They didn't oh, like that much. No. <laughs> How was your weekend? Jill? Yeah, great actually. Um, I was I was helping um, set up for the region book sale oh, this weekend. So fantastic. yeah, so it's the one dollar sale. So it's uh, ten to five pm on. Friday and Saturday this weekend, and there's some fantastic stuff there, so get down there. Very exciting. <laughs> and you don't need a ticket now? No, uh, so no restrictions, yeah, free entry, yep. perfect. You just go in and bring bags, because you'll want to pick up some stuff, believe me. Yeah,
1: bags, <laughs> suitcases, wheelbarrows, yeah. Boxes. anything.
0: Boxes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be amazing. Excellent. Oh, well,
1: head down there, Regent on the Octagon, come to the book sale, so yes, wonderful. And what things have we been up to this week? We had a lovely meeting with the Waitasha, Waitasha, Waitati
0: Militia. <laughs> we certainly did. <laughs> wow, well, what, oh, what a fantastic you know, way to spend an afternoon, just sort of going through photographs and talking about all of the been to, amazing things they've been doing. They <laughs> were the wonderful.
1: And for a militia who seem, appear, to be quite chaotic, they are very organised and but, efficient. So we're really looking forward to looking through their belongings mm. it's actually their 50th anniversary this year so it's quite an achievement
0: who would have
1: thought as the... old as me <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness happy birthday um, <laughs> and happy birthday militia um yeah so they've been well organized well run and, and going for 50 years and they have excitingly decided to contribute some of their material to the scattered seas archive so we'll be looking forward to getting their photos we've got a few photos up there already so you can have a look at those but we'll be getting more coming and uh, lots of scripts and also sorts
0: stories mm, there's be going be some great stories it will
1: be fun so we're looking forward to that um i mean some of the stories they told us were hilarious as we as we met for example i didn't realize that they had they were at the mad hatter's tea party they had a mad hatter's tea party at sammy's
0: yeah <laughs> I just love seeing those photos of sammy's and
1: <laughs> yeah with the militia inside that was it back in 2010 mm. Yeah. and what else did they do oh they did the 1812 overture they did it with the Dunedin. Symphony orchestra, I think it was. With the um, cannon. With their cannon. So they played their <laughs> cannon at the crucial bit.
0: Now you see you think the you know, live radio show is, you know, a little stressful. Imagine having to get the cannon going off at the perfect time for exactly. the of overture.
1: And <laughs> they did. <laughs> they yep, did i asked that question and they definitely did <laughs> so yeah no wonderful and we were speaking to the drumming corps who um were formed in 2007 so they're, they're latterly formed but uh, the drumming corps are very well organized with with uniforms and everything so um yes lots to tell us about that so do keep an eye on the scattered seas archive dunedin.recollect.co.nz have a look at that and you'll be able to see the story of the Waitati militia unfold and we're hoping to have perhaps an exhibition later yeah. at the libraries that you'll be able to have a look at so and certainly lots going on in Waitati so head along to Blueskin Library and the community there for that yeah um, ooh, another reminder about the polio project I've had heaps of responses from the polio project which is really exciting mm. um, we're getting people coming into the library and um, leaving little messages for me to follow up on. So I've got quite a few people to talk to um, this week and I've got people to ring and, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into that. We've we've now got our ducks in order and we can get that project started. Mm. So you'll start to see some of those stories coming out. But the project isn't over. The boxes are still in the library, so you can still head along to any library and pop in your little notes about it or your contact details in the box and uh, we'll get in touch with you. So that that's going on.
0: It'd be great, actually, yeah. to get some of those stories mm. yeah, recorded and yeah, very up exciting. Site, yeah. And? Oh, one of the things that um, I was just... I got the bird news from Orakanui, um Eco Sanctuary oh, yes. um, during the week. And, um, you know, they've had a bit of a tough year you yeah. know, since. You know, 2022 will be sort of a very hard year for them. So Indeed. they've had to reduce their hours. So it's just Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, 9.30 to 4.30 p.m. So And they are having... Um, they want some would love to have your support. So, if you can have some spare money, then um, you can donate via their website at uh, Nz. So, they've got a portal there. You can um, supply a uh, support them you yeah, donate to their directly to their bank which you can find on their website you can sponsor a fence post or you can oh, take out a membership idea. Oh, i love it my yeah. own fence yeah. post yeah and, or you just just visit just yeah. take a friend or a you know family member to yeah. visit them so yeah cuz we want to help them help our beautiful wildlife so Definitely. yeah so if you can support please do cuz it's you know, $50 buys um, enough kaka food for a month. and uh, Goodness me. I know, and $25 buys takahe food for a month. So those That's kaka be must be uh, quite big eaters. So, yeah, so if you can help, please do. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it's such a valuable resource. We're so lucky to have an it an it's so close to. Indeed. Yeah, I love spending time there. Yeah, so it's a,
1: it's a tourist attraction, but it's also got a very valuable service that it performs
0: um looking after our wildlife yeah. and protecting them from predators so yeah and a real benchmark
1: has been set by that
0: exactly yeah so so um, yeah we want to support their conservation work for the future yes indeed so yeah. good luck to them i hope they uh, get lots of visitors yeah. i'll certainly be going along and supporting them exactly yeah And all donations are tax deductible, so that's a bonus for you. Perfect, perfect. (laughs) Well, I think we probably, shall we have a song? Yes, yes. What are we going to play then? A Kiwi classic, so uh, Counting the Beat by The Swingers. Oh, I like that one. Let's have that.
1: swing is there and counting the beat.
0: Good way to is, kick off this Monday morning. Yeah, it does make you nod
1: your head, doesn't it? Exactly. Like yeah, it's yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. <laughs> Very fun. And talking of fun, I had lots of fun recording this next interview. Yeah. Um, I visited Julie Woods a couple of weeks ago. She is that blind woman you may know her as. She's, she's certainly a, a broadcaster on this radio station and uh, she is an advocate for Dunedin, wherever she goes in the world. Wonderful... Um, speaker and a motivator and a writer and just an all-round great person to spend time with she she brings joy into your life so anyway i will stop praising her and i will <laughs> let you listen to the interview this is julie woods
2: i'd like to dedicate this interview today to my two grandmothers ada mcdermott who came in 1924 to new zealand sailed on the dorset to settle in Dunedin and my other grandmother, Isabel Wilhelmina Woods, whose family settled very early on in Otago. And um, yeah, they are two great, wonderful influences in my life. So
1: I am here in the home of Julie Woods. That wonderful blind woman (laughs) who has done so many amazing things for the city. Thank you so much for having me in your home today, Julie. Thank you, Kay. It's lovely to have you here. And we've just had a delicious morning tea. We we had a lemon tart from Gilbert's Fine Foods, which I highly recommend.
2: Yeah, we did. And And Roslyn, newly arrived to Roslyn, which is very exciting for Roslyn. Yeah,
1: and a delicious coffee made by your good self.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What else could you say? of course no, but it
1: was <laughs> lovely thank you so much
2: <laughs> my then, pleasure yeah i'm going
1: to start today by just asking what's your connection to dunedin were you born here
2: i was born in dunedin yes on the first of february 1966 i was born at red roofs ah, uh, yeah in right. roslyn yeah and then grew up in the city uh, bradford school primary school balaclava primary school mm. Valley high school and then after graduating from Otago University, went away for four years and worked in Wellington, England for a year, and then came back, mm. and have been here ever since. So there's been a five year interlude away, but every time I leave Dunedin, <laughs> Kay, I just I just want to come back. Oh, that's funny you say that because you're quite the traveller, aren't you? Yes, I know, and I I I love going away, but I love coming back. Yeah. And if I when I was in Wellington, I used to think, oh. I'd love to be in Dunedin. Mm. I just sort of I couldn't help it. It's just in my blood, and yeah. I love Dunedin because of the size. It's you know big enough for us to have everything, but small enough for us to be community oriented yeah. and focused on people. And of course, being a city with a university, we're you know educated yeah. and we have access to education and culture yeah. and all those things that a university brings.
1: And a diverse sort of population really so young and old and different cultures it's a it's a beautiful tapestry isn't yeah and it? that's
2: becoming more so isn't it yeah you know having more cultures mm. more people from different places around the world choosing to live in Dunedin which is very exciting
1: yeah absolutely mm. now Julie is blind I don't know if you know Julie most people will know Julie if you're from Dunedin it's hard not to know Julie because Julie's everywhere <laughs> <laughs> Um, Very motivational and inspiring lady, if I may say so. Can I ask how old you were when you started to have difficulty with your vision?
2: I was diagnosed at the age of 18 with a juvenile form of macular degeneration called Stargardt's disease. I noticed the mathematical equations on the blackboard in my final year at Cochrane Valley High School were getting smaller and I wasn't able to read them. It wasn't too much of a worry, but I began university, starting in the back row of the lecture theatre. And by the end of the first year, I ended up in the front row. Mm. And that year was diagnosed. Um, I had that diagnosis. So I went along to the eye department at Dunedin Public Hospital. The optician referred me there. And yeah, that's when that diagnosis was made. So that left me, I say, with good partial sight. Mm. Yeah, it
1: must have been very hard as a teenager.
2: Oh, it was. Yeah, my mother asked for support services for me when we got a second opinion, mm. and he turned around and said, "What do you want support services for?" Right. So I finished my degree, you know, with no there was no disability support in those days.
1: So you just did it by
2: yourself. Yeah, there right. was no Donna Rose Mackay or
1: right.
2: any office or anything, and that just really forced me to go underground. Yeah. So yeah. that,
1: that probably shaped who you are today, did it? Because you're pretty determined.
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know how it shaped me. I don't look back fondly at that time where, mm. you know, it, I was kind of in the closet really around my vision loss because I felt people didn't understand mm. what partial sight was, what it meant. You either you were either totally sighted or you were totally blind. Mm. wasn't much in between. And I found, I just really, okay, I suppose, got on with it and... Did things in ways that worked for me mm. and you it forged wasn't your own path yeah I did but it wasn't the best path the best path was to go blind mm. and then have access to the services that I needed to so you were kind of to in adapt. that limbo I was yeah I felt I always say that I didn't belong anywhere I didn't belong in the world of the sighted and I didn't belong in the world of the blind and it wasn't until I went blind that I moved towards a group of people that were now like me. Mm.
1: So is that still the same now or is that just a sign of the times?
2: Um, it's not a lot better, although the organisation that was formerly known as the Blind Foundation is now Blind Low Vision NZ. Mm. Uh, and so they embrace people with low vision, there's more support there, mm. which is great.
1: It is fantastic. And you probably were part of that, I guess, because you, you were a major
2: part of the organisation. Yes, well, I mean, I'd say the organisation saved my life yeah. because they took me as a young newly blind mother yeah. and gave me the skills that I needed to become a fully functioning mother
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to be able to be there for the boys and for the family and for me and to just to train me up and learn how to do things in different ways. Yeah. And that is really the key. Um, How
1: old were the boys when you went fully blind?
2: Three and one. Oh my goodness, right. Yeah, they were little, but I don't think they noticed much.
1: That says a lot about you as
2: a mother. <laughs> well, they just... They, it <laughs> in was, a good way. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my first jobs, really, mm. to be able to be in the kitchen. Uh, they needed to eat and I needed to cook. Yeah. And it was pretty straightforward. That was really my role. As far as they saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which is why when Zach went to school, I think he got a bit of a shock because he said to me one day when we were coming home, Why is it that other mums can see?
3: Oh.
2: So I think he looked around the playground and thought, Oh, they're not blind. How come my mum's blind?
1: So you'd normalised it for them. <laughs> yeah.
2: I said, Well, your, your, your mum is blind, um, but your dad can see.
1: Yeah, amazing. So you, it must have been quite a different upbringing for them, at least initially. Or you tried to make it as as at, just uh, like everyone else. Yeah. Uh,
2: that was their normal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They didn't know any different, mm. and it wasn't any different. And kids accept what is. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until they stepped into that other environment that they started noticing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What a great mum you are. Oh,
2: huh. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to burden them with my blindness. Yeah. And I. I hoped in the end that they would grow up being aware of other people's needs rather than just yeah. their own. Yeah. And um, I can happily report that, that now that they've passed through their teenage years, <laughs> <laughs> is now the case.
1: Your work is done. <laughs>
2: yeah. you know, drops mic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now you're a major advocate for braille. You, you, you've taught me as one person so much about braille and Louis Braille. Um, in this digital age, what is it about Braille that still
2: resonates for you
1: today and for the next generation? Is it, is it something that can be kept alive? Is it, should it be kept alive?
2: Well, fortunately, Braille is made up of six dots, and that has translated beautifully to, to the digital age. We have electronic Braille displays that have little pins that pop up and down, yeah. so it can convert text quite easily to Braille. That's a major advantage, yeah. yeah. And whilst we're surrounded by sound everywhere, sound doesn't give you the detail of the written word that braille does.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: so your name is Kay, yeah. but I don't know whether it's got an E on the end or not. Yeah. Some Ks do, some Ks don't. Yeah. Gay may have an E at the end, Clark. So braille, when you write it, um, with its dots, gives you that level of detail that you you aren't able to get yeah, there, the with the spoken word here, yeah. and that's really important
1: especially so you, when you're learning. Yeah, mm. you, you learnt to read books in Braille, how long ago was that? Was probably what, five, six years ago was it?
2: That I learnt to read? The,
1: the books, you started reading books in Braille, and you came along to the library and read.
2: I did, they were the yeah. kids books. Mm. I mean, I'm not a native Braille reader, Kay, no. I learnt at the age of 35 I learnt braille yeah. and I fell in love with it, as you know. Yes. And I use it mainly for labelling and writing notes and mm. plastering everywhere. And now of course I have a dream to write a million names in braille, something that I determined when I turned 20 years blind, that I would write the names of one million people in braille. and. I love doing that. Yeah. yeah, it's simple and it's short. And um, You've made
1: quite some inroads into that. How, how far are you at now?
2: Um, today we are at 22,189. Yes, that's
1: huge, isn't it? Fabulous, well oh. done. <laughs> Congratulations. That's
2: great, yeah. No, I do love it and it's access to literacy yeah. and access to yeah. knowledge.
1: So where do you go to do this? I mean, I know, but tell us how you... How do you go about getting 22,000 names in Braille?
2: Wow, well, that's a really good question. It's all about um, being an opportunist <laughs> when you come across people yeah. that you meet um, in your daily life waitresses, um, receptionists, people that you have meetings with, people I go and speak to. I will write the names of a whole group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we can acquire the names of classes or schools or workplaces. So people feel free to contact me, Across Julie. you you in the street? Yeah, <laughs> street. Well, yeah. I have a portable braille um, piece of equipment called a slate and stylus, which is what I started to write people's names with when we began traveling around the world. Mm. And I'd write the names of our guides in braille. Oh. Yeah, and they loved it. You know, it was just an alternative to giving them a Dunedin magnet.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, be- it's a beautiful gift, actually, because there's something really special about seeing your name and yeah. feeling Well, it's
2: yours, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's really personal.
2: And it was when we were in, in, in India that I uh, wrote the name of a young porter called Pandy. Yeah. She was our hotel in our hotel where we kept getting lost, and she kept finding us and guiding us back to our room, which <laughs> <laughs> is lovely. And the next na- day, when I gave her name to her, mm. she cried. Uh, And she said, words cannot describe how I'm feeling at this time. And I I thought, wow, that's a big response to a little card.
1: But I can understand it. It is really something quite
2: special. Yeah, Yeah. so if people want their name, they can email me, julie at thatblindwoman.co.nz or go to my website, thatblindwoman.co.nz. Fantastic, thank you.
1: What what gave you the idea for that? Why did you think? I'm going to write a million names, in, and what possessed you to think
2: you could do that? <laughs> Would you like to say that in a different tone? <laughs> what you're sounding like my mother, Kay. What possessed you to do that? I was possessed. Well, I was listening to Catherine Ryan on Radio New Zealand a couple of months before I turned twenty years blind, and she was interviewing a mental health nurse called Frances Salo, who had given up work for a year and he was going to paint a million paintings to raise awareness of mental health. And I thought, wow, a million paintings, that's so cool, what can I do? And I thought, oh I know, I could write a million names in braille. That's a fabulous idea.
1: (laughs) And it's really great, it's not just something that you're doing for you, it's really raising awareness of braille and the, the plight of blind people and And connecting. Yes. Connecting people. That's the key, isn't it? It's
2: connecting people with the dots. And now I have a team of other women who have learnt Braille who are blind and sighted and we get together once a month on Zoom and share stories in total. So they have a slate and stylus and they go out and write names as well for people in their communities.
1: Yeah.
2: And they're helping me grow the total.
1: That's beautiful. So it's not just a number, it's about that connection.
2: Well, it's about every name counts. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. so, because some people say, oh, you've got a long way to go. And I go, well, I'm focusing on what I have done and not what I haven't, which is always <laughs> a major philosophy of yes. mine. Focus on what you can do and not what you can't. Mm. But that minimises the effect of one person and one name. Well, that's And true. that's really yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, working with UK has taught me that. And going to the library, and sometimes some of the numbers would be down at our events, but it's like that doesn't matter because even if it's seven, ten, thirteen people, it's it can be the lives of thirteen people that you've touched. You've impacted those people. Yeah, you?
1: you've made them think differently about something or yeah. do
2: something. I've always thought the quality of the interaction is more important than the quantity absolutely right
1: you are an absolute inspiration
2: I have to say that have you, you... turned the recording off No. <laughs> that's
1: just for us nobody's listening <laughs> is there anybody out there <laughs> but you seriously you have got this amazing determination to live your life to the max haven't you you you're quite mad actually <laughs> um, <laughs> what or who inspires you (laughs) is what i want to know how do you or is it just you you
2: oh my goodness no it's great what what and who inspires me my two heroes are louis Braille, the little french boy who invented the system of reading and writing um, which now bears his name and helen keller of course who also inspired the world with her writings. Her writings are really astonishing. Mm. She wrote much about happiness and I just love, I think it's that, what does inspire me? People living their best lives. Yeah, transformation inspires me. So when somebody will start at one place and end up in another, Mm. in a better place, that's what I really Mm. love.
3: Yeah.
2: Whether that's on the sports field or in the literary field or in the disability sector. If somebody's started somewhere and ended up somewhere else in a much better place, that's what inspires me. Mm.
1: So it's wonderful that you're inspired by ordinary people who've done amazing things. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and I think it's that connection, which is what One Million Names in Braille is about, talking to people, meeting people, finding out about Mm. them
1: learning their stories.
2: Yeah, I really love hearing other people's stories. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: amazing. You, you're quite an expert on the rugby field, I hear.
2: <laughs> I know what you're alluding to. <laughs> I'm very Again, good as a, as a match official, you mean.
1: Yes, so, so you officiated at a nude rugby game as the ref.
2: Not just one, not just two, but three <laughs> international nude touch rugby matches. The first one was in 2004 when I said, why not to do you want to referee a game of nude touch rugby? Yeah. And I went out to Middle Beach and was the referee, the blind ref for the game between the nude blacks and (laughs) England, which was always played as a curtain raiser to the all blacks tests when they came to town. And it was fun.
1: I have to ask, were the English players nude? Yes. It's not very
2: English. <laughs> no, but they get to wear a hat. Uh, so
1: over, over there. nobody
2: can um <laughs> No, no on, their on their
0: heads. Oh goodness. Nobody
2: <laughs> Nobody can recognise them. Well we're, that's what that's what my mother says anyway.
1: I think you get kudos for melting the stiff upper leopard of an Englishman.
2: <laughs> well, I think they I'm not sure if they were true English people. Don't tell uh. anybody this. They might have been Otago University students. <laughs> posing as english people
1: (laughs) that makes more sense
2: but it was a lot of fun and i chased them around with my whistle and white cane and my red and yellow (laughs) and pink cards and uh, there was a fully clothed streaker who came onto the field (laughs) But fortunately, there was a naked cop who was on duty, and he came and arrested that fully clothed streaker. And then, of course, when I would make calls that went against the nude blacks, the crowd would all go, "Boo! What are you blind or something?" <laughs> and I'd go, "Yes, well, I actually... am." <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. it's loads of fun. Yeah,
1: and that's your your philosophy, really. Is why not, isn't
2: it? It is why because not. It's
1: not a day goes by when you're not raising funds or awareness or pushing yourself to. Feats of endurance, even climbing mountains, virtual mountains um, so what what drives you to do that and can you can you tell me some of the things you've done?
2: Well, I think it really came back to that moment when I was asked to go cross country skiing back early in the days of blindness and I said no, thank you. this was a recreation advisor yeah. at blind La vision NZ and went home and sat on my couch and thought, you stupid woman, what kind of blind person are you going to make if you turn down opportunities that come your way? Because it's so easy to say no, yeah. okay? And even now, somebody will ask me something and and I can hear all these weird negative thoughts coming in my mind, you know, oh, that sounds dangerous, something might happen to me, I'm not sure if I really want to do that. And I've learnt to replace that no with why not. And as you say, it's seen me do many things such as walk 10 half marathons, learn to read and write with my fingers. Mm. It's seen me visit the seven wonders of the world, travel to 50 countries by the time I was 50, go up in a hot air balloon, come down the shot over jet, referee that new touch <laughs> rugby, cycle the Otago Rail Trail, a whole host of things that I wouldn't have done. And the the unless blind I changed. cooking
1: show on the radio? Oh,
2: Cooking Without Looking, that's right. Yeah, yeah. A f- an hour of food that comes in cans, not canots. <laughs> why not? Exactly, why not? They really make up the great moments in my life, or they have made up the great moments in my life. When I look back now, mm. the things I've said why not to, yeah, have been real stellar moments.
1: And is it as simple as that? You just literally substitute those thoughts with why not? Or do you, have you got a process that you follow to, to bolster your confidence and your courage?
2: No, because I find that comes. Ah. You just yeah. make
1: yourself do things.
2: Well, yeah, if you commit. Yeah. You've said why not... I mean, I'll get lots of people ringing me up, saying, cursing me at the moment. They've said, <laughs> they've said, why not to speaking at a prize giving or, mm. you know, doing saline or something. It's like, Arr! and then I'll get another phone call saying, I did it. And, and that's really cool. You yeah. get dragged along with the experience. And once you start moving, things start to fall into place. Yeah. It, it really is quite astonishing. One of my core values, Kay, is action.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's around taking action. And you say what inspires me? Action inspires me because yeah. it's doing something and creating something.
1: But you don't just do things for yourself. You've written books and you speak publicly to inspire others. So you, you're obviously keen to make sure that courage is shared with other people. And and you you sort of, I don't, I don't the infect is the wrong word. You 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 share that courage with other people. Give them the incentive to do it themselves.
2: Well, I. I guess, I think when I went blind, there were a lot of negative thoughts about blindness and people thinking that you can't do anything. And I really resisted that, and I guess as I built in confidence and adapted and learnt more skills, I discovered that I could do more stuff, and that was, that, that kind of, was important. I've lost my train of thought.
1: It's just the way you share it with others. Oh, sharing it with others, yeah. sorry.
2: Because it's know um, yeah, about you. <laughs> sorry, got lost in my train of thought of there. Don't know where I was going, Probably no. the, back at the new touch of rugby. Um, <laughs> it's hard to get yeah, away from that. I really, I, what was the point of going blind unless I could do some good with it?
1: That's it, yeah. 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 And
2: that this is sharing my story, is doing some good with it. Yeah. I want to be a reference point for other people if something happens to their vision. Yeah. Because then rather than think, I'm going blind, I won't be able to do anything, which yeah. is what I thought, uh, they will think, oh, I'm going blind, oh, Julie, <laughs> you know, yeah. look at what Julie's done and, yes. and it, it doesn't have to stop you. Yes, you don't
1: when, have to resign yourself to that, you, no. it's just another phase of your life.
2: No, it's just, it's just lack of exposure. I didn't know many blind people or any blind people when I went blind. Therefore, I had assumptions about blindness that I brought to the experience for myself. And, and it was just all, it was made up, I don't know what, but it, it was ill-informed. And it made you question? Well, it made me think I wasn't able, going to be able to do anything. Yeah. And that was just totally wrong. And it wasn't until I got together with other blind people that I was inspired by these people who were doing the things I thought I couldn't.
3: Yeah.
2: I didn't know that you could still walk a half marathon or read with your fingers or use a chainsaw or <gasps> what? mow your lawn, Gosh. yeah. I wouldn't use a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get you out of anything, I can tell you.
1: No. And that's the point, isn't it? You're still you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just such a joy spending time with Julie. She is all class, that lady. She's she is. incredible. She is. And next week we're going to hear more about her travels. She's travelled around the world with her husband, Ron. And we're going to hear more about those adventures next oh. in next week's show. So don't forget to tune in for that.
0: Amazing. I feel like such a wimp. I'm going to thank Julie. I'm going to yeah. start saying why not to things now. Good on you. Amazing.
1: <laughs> Good. Oh, she'll be so happy to hear yeah. that because she lives to inspire she's, people. Yeah, she's, she's really, really inspirational. Yeah. Well, I think it's very appropriate that we have this one. Uh, It's called For Today by the Netherworld Dancing Toys.
0: The Netherworld Dancing Toys with for today. Um, One of the things that I've been doing this week is uh, I've been looking at some of the productions that the Denian Repertory Society has done over the years. So we have quite a uh, fantastic collection of their programmes in our heritage collections. So I was looking at a play that's uh, called Autumn Crocus, which was uh, written in 1931 by a British writer, Dodie Smith, and it was her first play written under the pseudonym didn't she write 101 dalmatians oh i don't know pretty sure that's who that Ah. is sorry to interrupt that's right no um so she wrote under the pseudonym of c l anthony and Ah. uh, so this play it follows a single school teacher and she goes on holiday to the Tyrol and falls in love with the married owner of the hotel in which she's staying so the um society Uh, produced that play at His Majesty's Theatre from the 10th to the 14th of July in 1936. And it seems like it had a bit of a you know, there was lots of letters to the editor about it, so some people were very positive, and some people uh, um, weren't so um, appreciative of the show, and uh, and so on the 15th of July, 1936 someone wrote to the editor and said, I have just witnessed the production of Autumn Crocus and I feel I must express my disappointment at the choice of play by the Repertory Society for its public production drama is truth, great drama purifies the soul to see the stage held by an." Intoxicated woman in her stupid utterances for quite a few minutes was not even funny. <laughs> it was, <laughs> and then the, the voice of the male principal got on this person's nerves, oh dear. and nearly all carried on oh, during the applause. So they obviously didn't wait for the applause; oh, they just, right. sort of, right. yeah, and. Uh, Uh, And it was like, the early morning scene was beautiful, but even in Tyrone, would they lie in the grass so early? (laughs) (laughs) And then it seems... there must have been a problem with the audiences for a couple of productions. One was a separate one. So there were boisterous audiences and people laughing in strange places. So someone on the 15th of July wrote and says it seems to me your critic is ill-advised to rely on the laughter of a section of a Dunedin audience (laughs) as an indication of (laughs) approval or disapproval of any performance. There are some good old customs that could be revived with great advantage to the community. One is the employment of a hefty chucker out. at all Entertainments, and I suggest that his methods of handling such bores should be so unrefined as to accord with their own nature and behaviour. <laughs> Good heavens. So I'm assuming they want bouncers to chuck yeah. people out. Oh no. But then on the 16th of July, I was amazed at the excellence and the artistry of the uh-huh. local representation <clears> and considered an even fortunate in having a band of players who can entertain us so delightfully. Under Miss Thompson's able direction, the coordination was admirable, the company all uniting, bringing out the... The main theme of the story that of a late blooming of the love of an immature woman. Hoping to see many more such artistic productions with hearty congratulations to all concerned. And then on the 18th of July, may I pay tribute to the Repertory Society and indeed to other amateur organisations in Dunedin. Those who took part in Autumn Crocus are to be congratulated on her excellent all-round performance, uh, which would would have been a credit to most professional shows, to such amateurs we owe not carping criticism, but grateful thanks. Oh, I have to agree with that <laughs> latter one, yes. <laughs> that's yeah. what you want, encouragement. Ah, exactly. Yeah. And then at the end it says, this production has been sufficiently discussed by the editor. Oh, so OK. He's <laughs> sick, we're sick of hearing about now. it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you think these were amateur productions and they didn't get paid to do exactly, these things. They providing yeah. entertainment. And then people were
0: hypercritical. Yeah. yeah one of the other sad. interesting things was the chairs for the the genuine Tyrelline chairs and the film First seen uh, were lent by the Theamins from Ulverstone. So, how what a connection is that? Wonderful. (laughs) And. And then speaking of the Repertory Society, so they're performing *The Mousetrap* at Playhouse Theatre too, from yes. the 19th to the 28th of May. So, that's happening in this century. The yes. century, yes, Wonderful. the true well, one. We yeah, must so go, go and see, see that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that was, isn't that uh, the longest-running play in London? Yeah, it was the Christie play. That's they,
0: right. I saw it at the Mayfair several years ago. Mm. It's really great. Good yeah. play. Yeah, great so play.
1: definitely go and see that at the yeah. Playhouse Theatre, which yes. is in Albany Street. If you don't know where
0: it is yeah, um, yeah. So check out their website for tickets yeah fantastic oh great. i should be going to that that's
1: great well yeah. done well done playhouse theater and well done for keeping a theater going for such a long time I know.
0: amazing isn't it amazing. Yeah. amazing especially
1: yes. in this day and age that's that's really cr- cr- to be credited i'd say yeah well, I've been uh, mooching around the newspapers, old and new, and um, just recently I read a really interesting article on the 7th of May. This is written by Oscar Francis of the Otago Daily Times. Apparently there's a, he think, uh, there's a group of local historians that think there's a howitzer buried <laughs> in the Oval. Oh, seriously? Yes, <laughs> in, in the Oval, in the sports ground there. A group of local historians are looking forward to uncovering what they believe is a huge gun buried at a popular <laughs> Dunedin playing field. Otago Military History Group chairman Peter Trevathan said his research had led him to believe a siege gun from New Zealand forces, sorry, that New Zealand forces seized from the Ottoman army during World War I was buried under the Oval. He said the howitzer, which was so huge it needed 14 horses to move it, was broken up and buried, presumably in bits, behind the Boer War Memorial at the Oval in 1936. It was buried because it was too big to remove and melt (laughs) down. Goodness. A recent ground scan of the field conducted by University of Otago geologists Andrew Gorman and Hamish Bowman had revealed between three and four anomalies, which Mr Trevathan believed were pieces of the gun. Mr Draathan thought the buried gun was likely to have been captured in Palestine in September 1918 by the 2nd Auckland Infantry Battalion. The massive weapon had been publicly displayed in front of the Boer War Memorial, flanked by two German-built field guns, which had also been taken from Ottoman forces at the end of the war. After World War I, most reserve units had taken artillery pieces as trophies. They obviously, didn't take ah. that one because it was too big. Um, these were gradually removed from public display in the 1930s because of increasing anti-war sentiment. Mr Trevathan's dream was to restore the gun to its previous position, now overlooking the intersection of Princess Street and Anderson's Bay Road. So you drive down Anderson's Bay Road and there's a massive howitzer <laughs> pointed at
0: you. <laughs> Who would a good have idea. thought what lies beneath the oval? <laughs> I know. How
1: fascinating is that? And the um, the other story I read, which I thought was rather lovely, and you've probably all heard about this, it's been in the ODT several times, it's the grave for the unknown miner oh, in Cromwell, yeah. which I think is a, just a lovely story, um, how an unknown gold miner whose remains were discovered, buried near Cromwell four decades ago, has been reburied today. Sorry, that was at the weekend. Giving him a final resting place more than 140 years after he died. Um, It was organised by Alexandra-based funeral director Lindley Claridge and the team at Affinity Funerals at the Cromwell Cemetery. I think that was just lovely to do that for him. Yeah, what a beautiful Um, thing. Yeah, because they... um, Where did they find him? Uh, The body and boots of the man were discovered in 1983 during archaeological work ahead of construction of the Clyde Dam and Highway. But his remains were then housed at the University of Otago's Anatomy Department. You must go to the Anatomy Department. If you get a chance, it's an absolutely amazing tour of the Anatomy. I have trouble saying Anatomy. Anatomy (laughs) Department. It's... it's, It worried me because they are real people. Yeah. You know, the the specimens in there are real people, but absolutely fascinating place. Anyway, I digress. But So he'd been languishing in the anatomy department. Um, He's believed to be one of thousands of men who came to central Otago during the gold rush era. After the man's remains spent decades at the university, bioarchaeologist Professor Halley Buckley, Honorary Research Fellow Dr Peter Petchy and Dr Neville Ritchie, who originally discovered the remains, researched the man's history. So the value of research, you see. Yeah. All three were expected to be pallbearers at the service, which oh. I think is just wonderful. So yeah, so he had a decent burial. And that reminded me of Somebody's Darling. Do you oh, remember of Somebody's course. Darling I buried do. at Miller's Flat, yeah. uh, which I thought was a lovely story, and, and brought to life... By the wonderful Billy Connolly when he did his tour of New Zealand. I don't oh, know if you course. saw that program. But he he said, somebody's darling, <laughs> which I can't do in a Scottish accent. Yeah. He had a lovely way of saying that. Um, and I have been to that grave at, um, at Miller's Flat and mm. it's really beautiful. You have to go across the bridge to, to get to it. That's right.
0: Isn't it. it terrible? You know, I grew up in central Otago, but I have never been there. Oh, but I've always liked the story of it. It's a gorgeous
1: story. It's, it's it it warms my heart to think that Otago people care so much that they'll take a total stranger, literally a total stranger, mm. and give him a decent burial. Yeah. says a lot about Otago people. Nice
0: the, a picture on the front page of the ODT of the you know, the burial as well, all that yeah. sort of procession. So, the yeah, the horse drawn so carriage
1: sweet. and, yeah, no... Kind, kind, oh, yeah. and thoughtful people, and good people, good sense of decency. I love stories like that. Good, happy stories. Yes,
0: for a Monday. That's yes, indeed. yes, indeed,
1: indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, we're coming up to uh, running out of time. Time, so we ought to mention that uh, a couple of services that we've got. Yes, uh, there's a click and click service we'd like to talk about Yes, you want, so, you want to talk about
0: that? so if you can't get into the library for any reason um, you can uh, call or go onto our website and our staff will choose up to 10 items for you that then you can come in and you can pick up so it'll be all ready for you to pick up so it also includes if you have books that you've put on hold and they've arrived in we can put those in a bag too so you can pick them up from any any of our libraries so um you can go onto the website and fill out a form or you can call 03 4000 and you just specify you know what kind of things you would like it doesn't have to be books it could be cds or dvds and uh, and just sort of what's what um library you'd like to collect them in and then we can get them ready and uh, you can just come and pick them up it's
1: a great service, yeah. and I'm really pleased we're carrying it on. Same, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even though you know the libraries are fully open now, it's such a valuable service for people who are busy or yeah. you
0: know
1: um, in a rush, or yeah, just yeah, valuable. Um, and the other service we have for people who can't even do click and collect because people just can't leave their homes; they they're housebound. Um, is our housebound services? Home services we call it, sorry. Uh, and that is a tailor-made service delivered direct to your door, so you don't even have to come in for that. Um, we have a wonderful team who will put together large print or ordinary print, fiction, non-fiction, talking books, music, magazines and DVDs. So they will talk to you and they will help you tailor or who you can help them tailor uh, what sort of things you like to read or listen to um, and they'll put that together for you and deliver you a lovely red bag full of goodies it's quite exciting receiving that and if you'd like to join that service uh, it's free to join you can complete an information request form on our website if you're up to doing that, or if you prefer, you can call oh three four seven four three six eight one and talk to one of the lovely team there, and they'll be able to tailor that service for you and uh, get that up and running. So it's a uh, wonderful to be able to do that for people.
0: They're little book magicians, those people. say, so, yeah. Be able to find we work on some what? great teams, don't what we? We really have to do? tell
1: the people more about the things that are going on behind the scenes at the library exactly. one day. Exactly, yeah. We'll get to that. Now then, we've probably just about run out of time, got time for one more song, but before we go, don't forget to join us again next Monday, one oh five point four FM, fifteen seventy-five AM. We're broadcast, we've got a second broadcast on Tuesday nights at ten. So if you, you want to stay up late and listen to our Dulcet Tones, you may do that. Um, and of course there's the <laughs> podcast which is on OAR.org.n. Z look for Recollections Radio and you can download the podcast. And if you don't know what a podcast is, it's basically a recording of the show, so it's nothing fancy. Um yeah, so do that. Yeah. Well it's been lovely spending time with you all. We've yeah. really enjoyed it, haven't we, Jill? We've learnt some stuff. Yeah, we learnt some stuff, <laughs> and we got to spend time with you, so this yeah. is wonderful. Uh, let's finish the song with this one, and this again reminds me of Julie Woods, because she's got dreams in her head. This is Dreams in My Head by Anika
0: Moore.